I'm CJ. And this is Harry Potter Movie Minutes. The podcast where two friends break down the movies of the wizarding world in excruciating detail and obnoxious commentary. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Now we're recording. Okay. Corey, hello. Howdy. Hi. Greetings. What's up? Okay, we're not alone. We're not alone. (laughs) We have another uh, minutes, movie by minutes host. Are you technically movies by minutes? Um, I'm I'm part of their community. Right. Uh, they do. I I don't I haven't done a you know a minute at a time project yet. I do chunks at a time. There you but go. they're they're very ex- accepting. Like as long as you're doing a movie a chunk <laughs> at a time, they'll they'll accept you into their community. Okay. Well, welcome to our chunks. This is a Bubba Weep. Yeah, it's fun to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. All right, you ready for this chunk? You ready for this uh, chunk we've been kind of dreading this whole movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready, but let's do it. Forgive my uh, uh, my sick voice. I promise it's not pandemic related. Uh, this happens every year when I turn on the air conditioning for the first time. I get that lovely little air conditioning summer cold. So you guys get a a deeper version of my voice <laughs> this good. week. It's like your sexy phlegm, like your Phoebe Buffet. This is fully my Phoebe Buffet phlegm. All right. Well, let's get started. Let's get into this chunk because a lot does happen. And then we kind of come to a full (laughs) pump the brakes at the end, but we'll get through it. Okay. So uh, this week, the chunk that we are getting into, so we're back into another DA lesson. I think we ended with um, Neville and Harry talking the last episode in in the um, room of requirement about how they're going to make Neville's parents proud. And now we're just kind of into another DA lesson. Which was yes. this was a voiceover transition too, wasn't it? Uh, I didn't write that down, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I feel like Harry starts talking, and then we're in a Dumbledore's army defense lesson. Okay, great. Um, so at least this time I said we're at least focus on one spell this time. We're not doing the <laughs> random spells. Yeah. Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. Everybody's trying to produce a Patronus, um, and Harry's walking around encouraging everybody and telling them to focus. Uh, we see Her- Hermione's Patronus, which is an otter. Ginny's is a horsey, Luna's is a rabbit, and I said Ron's, of course, is a blundering dog. So, okay, first of all, this is cute. I love the score here. This is that same, like, motif that you and I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, I don't love the Patronuses. I think that they looked cooler in the third film. Okay. And it's always really, really bugged me a bit that, really, really a bit, um, it's always bothered me that a Patronus is supposed to be so difficult to do, so difficult that like a majority of adult wizards right. are unable to produce them, but a bunch of kids under the tutelage of a 15-year-old are <laughs> all able to make it work. Like, and, and not only just make the Patronus work, but make the full-bodied Patronus yeah. work. The corporeal, corporeal, I can never say that word. Corporeal. Corporeal, corporeal thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that, it's a little bit of a stretch. I think um, what you're really upset about is that they actually are a form. <laughs> yes, everybody but Harry gets a corporeal Patronus. We talk about that. Harry just produces a light um, earlier in the same movie, but I guess now they all can just be shapes. Okay. It's and like I mean, yeah, it's it, it's cute. It's cute. It's cutesy. It doesn't really, for me, like fit with canon. But then you also think about like the Marauders when they were in school, all managed to become animagi, and that's extremely <laughs> difficult, right? Yeah. Like, and they also created the Marauders map, which seems like an incredibly complicated 
magical artifact. Yeah. So we, I guess we have this common theme of children, like vastly outperforming adults. <laughs> yep. Magic. Go Hogwarts. Just explain it away. Yeah. We talk about Hogwarts as very sink or swim. It's also eh, create whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want here. There's it's no going to be fine. Rules. Um, so we do watch, everybody kind of stops and watches Luna's bunny hop around for a little bit. And it's kind of sad because I noticed for the first time in this viewing that Harry looks so happy. He's filled with joy because he's taught the group this. I'm like, oh, what a joyful, oh, <laughs> that's why we're doing it. It's like, can we kind of zoom in his face? He's so happy. And right as the chandelier above Harry shutters, um, a thumping begins outside of the classroom, I would assume. Very Jurassic Park vibes. Very much so. And it continues um, as the lights dim on and off before we finally realize the reasoning behind. <laughs> I said, we found out the reasoning behind all the mirrors in this room so we can shatter them. Yes, so, <laughs> we, can, so we can break them up. That's we kept great. questioning, why would you have so many fucking, oh, now we know because this needs to happen. Okay, cool. So yeah, so now the mirror shatters and we see that there's a hole in the wall of the room of requirement and Nigel creeps towards this hole in the wall closely to see Umbridge and her crew on the other side as she bombarda Maxima's this hole. So do we like that we just add Maxima now? I mean, uh, do you feel that like that's isn't... used in the books? I want to say no. No, I don't think so. Maybe a couple of times I would have to look into it, but I'm more upset about the idea that we're just going to basically throw a grenade at a bunch of students. <laughs> Like, but it's not like Dolores Umbridge has much care for the students <laughs> in, in general. There's just your well-being. Right, but I feel like she's not headmaster yet. This is kind of hard to explain. I'm sorry, so you did what to the children? <laughs> I bombed I them. Just, I blew them up a little bit. It's fine. It's fine. They were misbehaving. So now the evil crew is visible visible on the other side of this wall and Draco pulls Cho into frame. <laughs> Which did you notice that the whole group is like kind of curious and looking in, kind of like what's what they've discovered, and then there's Draco smiling like at the shit-eating grin as he grabs Cho. <laughs> yeah. This whole tableau is just a little odd. Honestly, it doesn't make any sense. They've known where the door was for ages. If they were just gonna blow up the wall, what did they need Cho for? That's if they already point. knew where Dumbledore's army was, they, they already knew about it, they didn't need an informant. Like, why bother with the Cho storyline anyway? And they don't even really bother with the Cho storyline. They don't ever explicitly say she's the one who told. Yeah, it's just a narrative shortcut, I think. It you know, very it, much it, is. It's just to visually show the audience that that's how they figured out how to get in there. Right. But again, like you said, it, it doesn't really matter because they've known pretty much where it is this entire time because they're always right there they're just, they just haven't been able to successfully get in before now right yeah and so like what what could Cho have possibly provided them with that would suddenly make this method work when it wouldn't have worked before the time like, <laughs> yeah but even then, she says in the very next like scene or two, she says, we've been known about this for weeks or something, or tracking them for weeks. Okay, so yeah, then why did you need Cho? Yeah, this was just, this whole plot line of her actually finding them was just really fumbled in the film. It's, I mean, it's not great in the book either. In the book, she doesn't find them in the room of requirement. Right. Um, Dobby tips them off and they all go running, basically. Um, and she catches them in the hall. Yeah. Arguably better, in my opinion. But well, and also we do find out that it's Cho that told in this movie way later 
Snape says he used the last of my truth serum on Miss Chang. Yes. So we we loop it back to Chang told, but not on purpose. But I'm like, but she's still never told. <laughs> like, why are we creating again? Again, it's a plot mechanism. We're just subbing in Cho for discovery. That that whole thing it it could re- have really been cut out of the movie and it wouldn't have impacted it whatsoever because it you know Cho go gets out gets on the outs with the DA after this but there's never really any moment of reconciliation I mean there's the the storytelling excuse so the audience knows that she didn't tell uh the tell on purpose but there's not really any moment of her making up with the characters but yeah but again what was the point there was no point in having Cho be this part of it's dumb just dumb okay so now we have Cho in frame looking ashamed as our here Cho told indicator all right got it Umbridge hisses get them next we get this awesome overhead shot of Dumbledore's office where he's sitting calmly on top of his desk as Umbridge is raving to fudge about how the DA was Dumbledore's desire to seize control of the ministry and I just said this is the Dumbledore that I love this this exchange that Dumbledore has with everybody this is the Dumbledore I like yeah, this is my favorite scene of this movie yeah I have a couple of things to say here first of all Chris Rankin you beautiful bastard he just keeps popping up in this film. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. I have that. I have a note about Percy. Like, Percy's back. Here he is. Except we don't know that he's an asshole. We also don't know that he works for the ministry or that he was promoted slash is being manipulated by the ministry to try and get info on the order. So it's all just like, why is he here? Why is he manhandling children? Like, what is... <laughs> I don't know. He It also, like, borderline might not recognize him because he's never referred to by name and it's just it's so confusing why he would be there like why is he what 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 it also doesn't entirely make sense that shacklebolt is there either because as the audience we know that he's a member of the da Mm -hmm. or the um not the da the order of phoenix Mm -hmm. but he like if you just saw this scene you would think that he was working with the ministry of magic but there's not you don't really get the sense that he's working like as as a spy or a double agent you wouldn't know that if you hadn't read the books if you're just watching these movies like well that's weird i think i know that guy from (laughs) a different part of this movie yeah exactly oh that is confusing it's a weird bunch of people that we have and mcgonagall's supposed to be in the scene and she's not which is kind of a bummer. sure is I, th- I think it's just another another instance where this movie just doesn't explain anything <laughs> that is the going theme for all of these movies <laughs> which is what we're here for we're gonna fill in the blanks maybe um <laughs> best we can so I, yeah i love this dumbledore you know she goes he's trying to seize control of the ministry in dumbledore naturally and he calmly explains that of course this was his idea and he's totally responsible and freaking Percy is holding Harry and Cho and nods to Fudge um, as he instructs him to send an owl to the Daily Prophet. He then instructs Dawlish and Shacklebolt, Shacklebolt to escort Dumbledore to Azkaban. Okay, so they begin to close in on, as, on Dumbledore as he explains, I don't have any intention of going to Azkaban. Um, I do like this too. I don't think I've ever noticed that Kingsley's kind of, he tells Kingsley and Shacklebolt to go get him or whatever, but Kingsley's kind of drifting more towards Harry and Cho. So I think he's kind of our stand-in for McGonagall. He's going to kind of 
protect the kids because he knows what's going to go down. Dumbledore winks at Harry, raises his arms, and claps on a fox, who then boom flashes him out of there. Everybody's stunned, but I feel like some people fell back and some people just kind of had a blowback reaction. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Dumbledore's escape. Uh, I love the wink. This is another moment that I really would have liked to see Richard Harris bring to life. I think Michael does a great job. It's it, Again, it's a successful scene. I think it's great. It's entertaining. Uh, it's cheeky in the way that Dumbledore needs to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I really would have loved... I thought yeah. about how he would have delivered that. Oh, I thought we might run into this little problem. <laughs> yes, that is dialogue that's more in line with the way that he portrayed Dumbledore. You know, we had a, I don't know if it was this season or last season, but we had that long talk about uh, scenes are written differently based on the actor that is in the role. Like yeah. the scenes that were given to Michael never would have been given to Richard. They would have structured them differently. Yeah. And But this is a moment when I think that there's a crossover. And I just, I, I yeah, I feel like every time I see this scene, that's what I think. I'm like, oh God, how would Richard have done this? <laughs> because it, it, it would have been great either way. I like it. Um, I also think that there's an interesting connection here to the Fantastic Beasts films. Uh, there's a line in the second film about how a phoenix will come to any Dumbledore in need. And that's very cute and clever, the idea that he needs to escape. And yeah, anyway. I like it. But I also kind of wanted that interlude. So like in the book, he stuns, Dumbledore stuns everyone in the room. And yes. they have like this like minute to breathe before everybody comes to Yes. And he like grabs Harry's arm and he's like, you need to learn Occlumency. <laughs> For the love of fuck, kid, do what I told you. Um, but you're right. You know, d different people kind of seem to be affected differently uh, in, in the film. It doesn't seem to hit the kids as hard as it hits everybody else, which I think is the point. You were saying mm -hmm. that McGonagall is missing um, in the books. She pulls them down onto the ground so that they're not stunned. Uh, when he's dumbled our sons, everyone else in the room. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I like this scene. I'm just greedy and I want more. <laughs> I kind of do too. You want more of like a standoff, a Dumbledore standoff of like, oh, really? Oh, no, I, I, I think that a standoff here, like any sort of like wizard battle would take away from the Dumbledore Voldemort battle at the end. Ah, yeah, you're right. And I mean, realistically, nobody in the room is a match for him. Yeah. This is a moment of like a real demonstration of his power. Like there's, this is hilarious. You think that you are going to take on the greatest wizard. Oh, okay. That's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just like, he's totally just, you know, you really think you're going to come after me? I'm, I'm just going to, you know, bust out of here. Like it's nothing, you know, not even breaking a sweat. Well, I like the, in the book, he's even tells Dollish, I think, because the other guy is like, oh, please don't make me stun you. <laughs> like, please, I I will embarrass you in front of other people. <laughs> so the scene kind of wraps up with, or this this chunky, well, yeah, this scene. The scene wraps up with uh, Kingsley offering the line, you may not like him, Minister, but you can't deny Dumbledore's got, Dumbledore has got style. So this was actually supposed to be from Phineas Nigellus, this line. Yes, it is. Which I said made this more fun after all the chaos, because Phineas didn't really like Dumbledore that much. And so I did actually write down the line, because I'm like, what was it? He says, Phineas from the painting says, you know, Minister, I disagree with Dumbledore on many counts, but you cannot deny he's got style. That I felt was a little, again, squibs, I get it. We're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, gonna be... they're not going to have any idea who Phineas is. Yeah, it's not going to be as fun. 
but still, good scene, good chunk. Made me happy. Um, I said, oh crap. <laughs> now we go back to Filch, climbing up to post yet another impossible to read decree. Uh... <laughs> Just hate this bit so much. So this time I wanted so badly for him to fall off his ladder. <laughs> I couldn't remember if he did or not. I do think it's interesting and I, I think it's very much fitting with Dolores Umbridge that it doesn't say that she has been made the new headman head uh, headminister headmaster. It says that she has replaced Albus Dumbledore as the new headmaster. I noticed that too. And the way they actually spell Albus looked kind of wonky too. Like, <laughs> so yeah, this stupid fucking bit. Um, now saying that Umbridge is the headmaster, kind of in a roundabout way. Um, next, we have an announcement. I said on Corey's favorite old timey speakers that work. <laughs> well, okay, I do have to stop you because. Please. I did something ridiculous here. So I agree with you. The latter bit is tired. The posts are tired. It's all tired. Like it's not, it's not working anymore. It's not even a comedic relief anymore. In my opinion, that being said, I thought that I was going to be a smart ass and prove a point by saying that there were too many posts on the wall that it was like, this is just ridiculous. But I actually paused and counted them <laughs> Okay, and? And it turns out there are not enough because it all starts with like number 24 or something and then that one is labeled as number 119 and there are roughly like 70 of them on the wall. Oh shit, really? Yeah. Ugh, aren't we glad that we just saw montages though? I'm like, what if we had to sit through this movie and watch yeah, every no, single one no, movie? <laughs> no, it feels I'm... like that's that's a, a bit that they wrote, they wrote themselves into a corner. Like they, they couldn't present this in any other way. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, I agree with you there totally. Yeah, and then now this is happening. Bink, bunk, bunk. Like, yeah, we got it. Okay, so now, <laughs> so back to Corey's favorite old timey speakers that work. <laughs> As a uh, Umbridge is voicing over that anybody wants to join her goon squad, they'll get extra credit. Otherwise, all students will be subjected to questioning about illicit activities, or they'll be expelled. I don't think I've ever caught that before. I definitely haven't. I, I definitely never heard her say before, oh, they'll be expelled. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> Extreme. I said, okay, but then for some reason during this voiceover, we're swooping over the moving staircases down to see Filch taking down all the portraits and dumping out the contents. What? What is happening here? I just wrote, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I wrote. I'm like, I. what was the point of this bit? First of all, another Filch cameo. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm really going to do this at the end of this film. At the end of this season, I'm going to go through and I'm going to add up all of the stupid filch bits <laughs> and say, I want this time back. You said that there wasn't enough time to fit everything in. I want this fucking time back. Reclaiming my time. <laughs> but I did look into it at one point. This actor had worked with David Yates before on other movies. Of course he had. It's so all that, nepotism. That is that is the connection. David Yates is like, I love this guy. No one else does. No one else needs filch in these movies. I'm sure he's lovely. This is nothing against the actor, great... but it's just like, what is happening? Again, <laughs> what is actually, like, what's the message here? Is Dolores actually Mrs. Trunchbull? Like, we have to take all the art off the walls. And, like, we can't have anything nice or pretty because that'll distract from education. Is that the message here? Well, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's a little bit too subtle. But if if I had to guess, I would say that it's like she's taken out the, the pictures off the walls because she feels like they are like spies of Hogwarts. Which, wouldn't Which, she want that? Right. 
Wouldn't she want more help? But she's not, they're they're not working for her. They're working for Hogwarts. That's very true. She's been locked out of the headmaster's office. That's right. I mean, we have talked about the Hogwarts spy ring and how that's how Dumbledore can know what's going on everywhere in the castle because he literally has a network of spies stationed in every room of the building. (laughs) Yeah. So that's fair. Okay. I accept that. And maybe she retract my statement. Or maybe this is just a showing of this is how she's taking over Hogwarts. Sure. No more portraits. Fuck portraits. Fuck. They just need to to have one more quick scene. They should have cut this down by half and then added one where she added cat more cat portraits on, <laughs> oh on the entire moving staircases. <laughs> <laughs> now that would have been fun. Like a various different art styles too. Oh God. Oh, I like that. I like that one. Okay, so <laughs> I just ended that with whatever. Uh, now we're in the Great Hall, which has been converted in, into a detention hall where everybody gets a torture quill. Like Oprah, you yeah, get a torture there quill. Now, you there are torture. many of them, not just one. Fine. Fine. Mass torture, fine. But it feels like some of the kids are just <laughs> fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not. It's not. It's not okay. Um, but I just felt like some of the kids were like really like playing it up, like wincing as they're writing. You see other kids scrolling along i'm like okay did nobody know the cameras are they're rolling <laughs> yeah it seemed Action. like half the time fred and george didn't really seem phased and then they have the one moment where they do glare and it's like oh no now we're in pain i'm like okay oh you're so angry <laughs> yeah, i felt like the glare was that they were glaring specifically at umbridge rather than at the pain yeah and i did i did think umbridge though in this moment on her like throne kind of <laughs> like she's sitting in dumbledore's <laughs> but she's so short with her little stubby self in a throne. I thought she played that great. Oh yeah, like the whole thing the whole thing is disgusting and it's beautiful and it's well shot. I agree that there's not a whole lot of reaction going on um, among the students. Um, every now and then you hear like a little whimper in the background and it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh okay, yeah, that would be a really uncomfortable detention to sit through. Uh, and of yeah. course there's also the added resentments because it, it seems like Cho Chang got out of it because she was the one that gave up the information, however involuntarily. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's our next part as they walk out of detention, all looking at poor distraught looking Cho. Nobody's looking at her. I said one kid shoulder checked her. I don't think I've ever noticed that. <laughs> like one of the kids walking past her shoulder checks her, and she just kind of still looks sad. And then she, the only person she says something to is, you know, her whisper sadness. Harry. <laughs> tries to get Harry's attention and Harry still goes nah <laughs> walks away this poor g- girl cannot speak in full voice like I'm I'm convinced that she lost her voice before filming and they just turned it into a character flaw like or she has a very deep voice so they said just keep it very light <laughs> I'm sorry Harry <laughs> I'm sorry Harry I was drugged <laughs> I know we all were drugged but like I was super drugged <laughs> Jesus Okay, so next we cut to the trio walking along the very foggy bridge discussing the dismantling of the DA and they're like apologizing to Harry for pushing him to do it, which I felt like wasn't them doing it. It was Umbridge being shitty. Right. But we're just, this felt like a nothing scene. Yeah, I don't know. I was too distracted by the fact that they were dressed in house colors. Like Hermione was in a maroon sweater with yellow stripes Ron was in a green striped sweater and Harry was in a bright blue 
sweater. I'm like, what are we doing here? This was, yeah, you can't. I, I you, like noticed that too. Like, right, Aaron you, is bright blue. Ron is like faded and wearing the these faded green colors. And then Hermione is the only one in Gryffindor colors. It's, I'm sorry, you can't miss that as the costumer. You can't be like, hmm, there are four <laughs> houses in Hogwarts. They have very distinct colors. I'm going to just. I'm what what I'm just gonna dress the leads in three of those four colors hey, just hey, that would be funny hey, there are no other colors this is it this is Hogwarts these are the colors you get you stick to these you don't ask I, I do appreciate the the movie's direction starting with Prisoner of Azkaban to get them in regular clothes more often because I I think that the movie series as as a whole would be a lot more planned if they were constantly just wearing the wizard robes you're not wrong about that but there is a piece of me that's like I, that's what i want to see you know yeah. i don't want to see kids in normal clothes we, we complained about that in a different season we're like we were two kids that grew up without school uniforms so we yeah. kind of want to see the school <laughs> uniform. <laughs> actually that kind of looks snappy right like that was kind of cool <laughs> but yeah you're right i think it is an effort to show like and I think it makes sense too that they they wear the school uniforms less often the older they get because it, it, it's almost like a privilege. Oh, and think about that. Some schools do have that. They have like if they have a uniform, they have free days. The free days you can wear whatever you want. So maybe as they get older, they can wear that more often or something. Yeah, it's common in ballet companies too. Well, ballet schools that the older you get, the less strict the dress code is. Yeah, it was basically just a scene for them to chit chat about kind of what's going on and Harry <laughs> being emo Harry slaps down their apologies and throws himself a pity party right there on that bridge with nothing matters. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> anyway, enter Hagrid. I said to give him all some perspective and a task to do, maybe. Um, <laughs> we will get into this as we go, but what was the fucking point? Um, so Hagrid leads them into the woods where we but do like, their... But like, wait, 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 before that even, the question I've always had in this moment, who is he hiding from? <laughs> the three of them are alone on a bridge over a fucking ravine. Like, who are you ducking around the corner to get away from? Uh, I always got the impression that he was hiding from Umbridge because, you know, Umbridge has already given, has always created this oppressive atmosphere oh. throughout Hogwarts with her network of inquisitors okay. and you're probably right about that but it's like and, and Hagrid very obviously alone. his head is on the chopping block yes but they're I very they're... much outside <laughs> yeah very much alone very much secluded already only a short walk from his little oh. hut his hut is just down the hill from there to me it just felt like and Hagrid's gonna creep into this scene <laughs> <laughs> I am here too in this movie. Like, all right. Remember me, Harry. <laughs> You're so a wizard, down, like... Harry. So uh, Hager does lead them into the woods where we get our first glimpse of the angry centaur herd rumbling past. Um, Hager explains to the trio that the ministry is restricting their territory. Sure. Okay. All right. We don't need any other background that doesn't go anywhere. So. It doesn't go anywhere until the end when they take her away because she's in a ministry official, yada, 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 whatever. Sure. sure. I get it. I, I don't mind. I don't mind this. I, I think it, I look at it as an efficient setup. You know, it, it only takes like two lines and that, 
with so much explanation that's missing in this movie that this is the one bit of exp explanation that explains the you know umbridge's ending yeah i i agree with you that this is an efficient an efficient explanation of something that happens later rather than having the whole like standoff between them no 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 no. cool throwaway line it explains it it gets us going cool we need more things like this we had to glimpse them once before we saw them at the end yes that's fine absolutely that's fine. Yeah, because the last time that we saw any centaurs was way back in movie one. Yes, and they yes. looked very different. <laughs> yes. Can't wait to get to that CGI. Good God. So we finally arrive at the destination, and uh, Hagrid finally explains what's going on, that Dumbledore, with Dumbledore gone, he'll likely be getting fired soon. <laughs> so here's my giant half-brother, yay! Um, enter this, I said, cross between a troll and a creepy man-baby CGI giant. It's very weird. Okay, so like my opinion here this is maybe one of the more misguided storylines and i mean in the in the book as well frankly it doesn't it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense even just the basis of like how would he have even known that grop was his half brother like they can barely communicate with the giants because so few of them speak english but they were able to like gossip about what hagrid's mom was doing after she left his dad like sure i I just I I don't I, I I don't I don't get it I don't get it. This is a very weird and very specific choice. Yeah, and, and this, you know, I I praise this movie for finally explaining something, and then they go back to zero explanation for any of this. You know, we're introduced to a full-blooded giant who apparently doesn't speak, can barely communicate, but we don't know why because Hagrid is is half giant and he's bigger but other than that he's mostly human and giants in other fiction other fantasy they generally you know they're lower intelligence but they generally speak english or it's common and we're presented with this you know part animal that has to be tied up to a tree i have a picture for both of you okay can you see my email mm-hmm this is the actor that always makes you think of Crop for some reason. Oh my god! I feel bad saying that, but Lee Evans, <laughs> the shape of his head, and something about Mary, <laughs> is always reminding me of Crop. I am oh I wrong? Oh my god! <laughs> am I wrong? I see what you're saying, but that's terrible. <laughs> it's really bad. It's like if Lee Evans they took his face and like let's distort it in a really terrible way. Crap. <laughs> okay, so I'm a bad person, but that's that's just something I've always gone to where I'm like, is this just me? This is what we got. This sentence is very weird. It says the voice of Grop is voiced and motion captured by Tony Maudsley. Why is the voice of Grop motion captured? Weird. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. I did look I looked into it a little bit and they were like Something about this was going to be a revolutionary CGI in 2006. I'm like, was it? <laughs> was it? I feel like he did better in 2001, but all right. So it's he. He's there. He exists. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, Hagrid. Yeah, explains somehow it's his half brother. Um, and as the trio is backing away, Hermione trips backwards, scoops her up. Hagrid is trying to discipline Grop politely. He feels like one of those parents. It's like, okay, now <laughs> we don't pick up, we don't pick up children. Okay. <laughs> what are you 
he's like too polite in this moment and ron just goes i'm gonna hit him with a stick i get which ron's... does nothing of course <laughs> well and i didn't notice this either um ron's stunt double falls back when he hits him with the stick mm, that's i didn't not clock ron. that i wondered a few times I'm like that's a very light-haired boy he looks much different than him <laughs> that's not him and then as he's getting up he's from a different angle i'm like i see it <laughs> <laughs> you thought i didn't but i saw Anyway, so let's get over. Let's just get through this. Hermione uses her stern voice and tells him to put me down. Dumb baby Grob goes through his pile of garbage and hands her a bike handle so she can chime the bell. Um, Fat Grob baby sits back down to play with the handlebar as Hagrid asks if they just simply visit him for company, that he's the only family I've got. He uses his saddest eyes on them and Harry Potter nods in agreement. Okay, but Grob does look adorable behind him when he sits down. Okay, what side are you on now? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm gonna say that the while the Dumbledore scene was my favorite scene in this movie, I think this is one of, if not my least favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, it's tough. It's jumbled. The CGI is in spots. Grop kind of seems to change size. <laughs> depending on who he's standing next to. Right. I don't know. I'm just a little baffled at what this adds to the plot. I agree with you. I feel like at this moment, it was to diffuse Harry feeling sorry for himself and like nothing matters and don't care about others. And then he's like, oh, okay, I'll care about others because look at the sad eyes on your fat baby brother and you. <laughs> and I will admit, yes, when he's doing his little fat baby eyes and he's trying to find a gift for Hermione. Oh yes, that God. is cute. What but... is with all the fat phobia tonight? <laughs> <laughs> phobia. <laughs> It's fat baby CGI Lee Evans distorted face phobia. Okay. That's what it I is. I really want Lee Evans' representative to respond to this comment. <laughs> <laughs> he in no way agrees with this statement. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry, admirer of your work. Okay, thanks. Anyway, all right. So that's this chunk. I mean, we, we joked all season about how bad Grop was going to be. I mean... It does have a little charm to it. I'll admit that. But again, <laughs> one of the things I was Googling today when I was Googling Grop from Harry Potter, the second thing on Google is, what is the point of Grop? <laughs> I was like, oh, same. Yeah, kind of agree. All right. Well, that chunk is over. Thank God. Hey, we Bubba. Did it. I got a question yeah. for you. You want to go first? This is our, uh, what would you keep? What would you get rid of from this chunk? Um, the uh, first one, I so said, what would you bombarda maxima out of this chunk what would you cut um oh it's a tough choice but i think i'm gonna go with cho chang because uh, <laughs> she doesn't add anything at all i think even less than grub i'll give you I, that I, yeah i agree with you there <laughs> just a sad little cho scapegoat it's not fair Corey, what would you bombard a Maxima out of this chunk? So I thought everybody was going to say Grop, so I decided I wouldn't do that. Um, so I went with Filch with the paintings. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? I won't get into it again. What about you? What are you going to bombard a Maxima? I'm going to go with Grop. Fuck it. I'm sorry. Like, Or at least Grop's animation. I, get, I, I kind of will accept grop into this movie but like do better or make him kind of horrifying looking making him like a fat baby i don't care making him like a fat baby oh my <laughs> like, God. giant is weird either make him i think it would even make more sense if if he's supposed to be a 
you know, a, like a, a juvenile or a young giant, because that's not entirely clear either. We oh. don't, we don't really know if Grop is supposed to be like a child giant or if he's supposed to be a fully grown giant. Yeah, that's true. What would you keep in the woods from this chunk? Like a fat baby giant brother. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm saying it. Stop saying fat baby. Right. <laughs> um, I would keep, I'm going to go with uh, Dumbledore's wink. I, I noticed it this time. It's, there's just something about it. It's not even like a full wink. He doesn't like fully close his eye. He just, it's almost like just the bag under his eye winks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an eye twitch almost. Oh but it's, it, it's Michael Gambon. So it, it's, it's charming. And, and I just adore him, especially in, in these movies. I love that. Corey, what would you keep in the woods? Like a half brother giant is that better feel better that was so much better <laughs> i um i also went with dumbledore i just said his escape in general but i want more yeah i'm gonna go on the same reign of that same uh path as that i liked i actually just like dumbledore sitting on his desk not at his desk he's sitting on his desk calling me like all right what's happening <laughs> like he's so right. calm about this situation that's supposed to be really tense everybody else is tense and he's yeah, just sitting I loved it. All right, Corey, do you have something to traumatize me? <laughs> no, it's not traumatizing. I feel okay, like well, you I put a like... stigma on this segment. No, it's not a stigma. It's a hesitation. <laughs> Why do no, you it's hate not that. me? I don't hate you. I was just going to say, actually, I was the jerk this week. I kept talking about a fat baby giant. So maybe <laughs> whatever you've got to throw is going to be fine. <laughs> uh, so my question is around Patronuses and... I don't know. I I got to thinking about them because obviously the first scene that we talked about in this chunk was the Dumbledore's army learning to conjure their corporeal Patronuses, uh, even though Harry doesn't do that. We won't get into that again. And I kind of got to thinking about like, are Patronuses always an animal that has some kind of special meaning to the spellcaster? And like, how are they determined? Because we know that, well... If you read the books, you know that Harry's Patronus is a stag, and that is because his father was an animagus, and the animal that he turned into as an animagus was a stag. Hilariously, you don't get to choose your Patronus, and you also don't get to choose the animal you turn into when you're an animagus, so kind of weirdly, randomly assigned. Um, but yeah, uh, out of all that blabbering, somewhere in there, the question is like, how is a person's corporeal Patronus determined? They take one of those BuzzFeed, which Patronus are you? <laughs> 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 yes, yes, agreed. Except it's magical. It's I always magical. just thought it was more, I didn't know that part about the animagus, like you don't get to choose. I always just thought it was more like your traits. What, are, mm. what traits do you have personally that are like the most similar to an animal? Yeah. Yeah. I wanted there to be a little bit more depth to them. Like there's a, um, we already talked today about Hermione's is an otter and I wanted there to be a reason that the author assigned an otter to Hermione. Um, and it turns out the otter is just the author's favorite animal. And then there's a whole fan theory about how 
Rons is a Jack Russell Terrier because they're known for chasing small animals like otters. And so that was a cute like connection between Ron and Hermione. Uh, but in an interview, the author explained that Rons was a Jack Russell Terrier because she had a Jack Russell Terrier that she was very fond of. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. So there's really no rhyme or reason here. Uh, sometimes it, uh, it is something important, like uh, like Harry's dad protecting him, which is something that I found some kind of a connection with. My dad is a big hunter in the Midwest. And so like the idea of a stag representing my dad was, that was protection for me. I like that. Um, but the other people are just like, you get this animal, Ginny, horse. Um, <laughs> so there is actually a lot written about this. Um, I'm going to try not to blabber on for too long here. Um, but on the wizardingworld.com, which is formerly Pottermore, um, there's a whole article about it. I encourage everyone to go read it. It's interesting. Um, but, quote, no reliable system for predicting the form of an individual's Patronus has ever been found, although the great 18th century researcher of charms, Professor Catalyst Spangle, set forth certain principles that are widely accepted as true. Spangle says that the Patronus represents that which is hidden, unknown, but necessary within the personality. But then he also kind of goes on to explain that it can be other things. So basically nobody knows because he's contradictory in his own thing. But I thought that this was really interesting. Here, says Spangle, is the explanation for the appearance of Patronuses in forms that their casters might not expect, for which they have never felt a particular affinity or in rare cases can even recognize. Spangle is interested. Uh, this is worded poorly. Spangle is interesting. Cut this part. Uh, and we'll just jump to this. It is my firm belief that such a Patronus is an indicator of an obsession or an eccentricity. Here is a wizard who may not be able to hide their essential self in common life, who may indeed parade tendencies that others might prefer to conceal. Whatever the form of their Patronus, you would be well advised to show respect and occasionally caution towards a witch or wizard who produces a Patronus of their choice. Um, so like it's it's kind of all over the place in terms of of lore here. Uh, another interesting blip from this article said that some witches and wizards may be unable to produce a patronus and at all until they have undergone some kind of psychic shock. So that kind of goes back to what I was saying about you know being far fetched that harry or any of them would be able to uh conjure patronus well harry has had a lot of uh traumatic experiences in his life so it would make sense that he would have um experienced said psychic shock i don't know that mm. apparently is an unanswerable question because even yeah. that great 18th century researcher uh kind of contradicted himself but basically it might be like you said an animal with which they share some form of characteristic um, it might be an outward representation of a repressed emotion. Um, it might be a connection like Harry had to his dad. I know that I took the test on Pottermore back when it was Pottermore and I had a Borzoi and I have no connection to a Borzoi whatsoever. So I never liked that. It's what a breed of dog. A Borzoi? Yeah. It's like a bonsai. It does. It doesn't look like one. <laughs> it's a large dog. 
I'm disappointed. I thought Patronuses were like, yeah, and you share the traits of this thing, and that's why it's a representation of you. Nope, she just liked it. I'm like, no. Oh. Well, some of them are just really random, too, and very hilarious to think about. Um, like, Rita Skeeters is a beetle. Oh. Like, imagine casting a beetle at a at a Dementor. <laughs> that's, <got me. laughs> that's very funny to think about. There is a story in this article, too, about um, a wizard who whose Patronus was a mouse and he held off an entire army of Dementors with his tiny little mouse um, Patronus. It is very cute. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's interesting to think about. I like it. I'm going to go with my theory. I like mine. (laughs) Yeah. It's a representation of you. It's okay. (laughs) We'll embrace it. I appreciate that. All right. Well, Nate, uh, where can people find your podcast, sir? Uh, Sure. Well, I've got uh, two two main podcasts going on right now. Um, one is about to come back for its third season. It's my uh, Movies by Minutes adjacent podcast. It's called It's Time to Rewind. And I take a look at time loop movies and TV shows. And I look at them one loop at a time. Um, I, the first season was Groundhog Day. And I'm getting ready to do... Uh, three similar lesser known movies um i think the most well known is triangle uh, coming up here in june and then my other podcast is called lyrical innuendo uh where each episode on fridays i uh, me and my co-host we take a look at the lyrics of a song and look at the innuendos and, and decide if they're the lyrics are actually about sex, drugs, or if it's just rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. Anything on uh, social media? Yeah, um, my main uh, place where you can find everything is on Twitter, where I'm at Bubba Wheat. And I also have a Facebook group for It's Time to Rewind called It's Time to Rewind, a time loop group. And you can join that and discuss time loop movies and TV shows and the podcast on there. Nice. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, all y'all know where you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube. All of them are at HP Movie Minutes. And yeah, I don't think I'm forgetting anything. Why? Why do I feel like I can't do an outro all of a sudden? <laughs> no, you're doing great. I was just thinking I really like your sick voice. <laughs> Is it selfish that I wanted? Here? Is it selfish that I wanted to stay around? Anyway, okay. Find us on TikTok. <laughs> On YouTube and on Instagram. Now you sound like a jazz radio host. Oh, I would love that. You'd be really fucking good at that, actually. Okay, new calling. Anyway. (laughs) All right, thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you. Okay, Corey, I love you. I'll see you next week. Okay, bye. 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 side note i was mad about this too like he's so downplayed in the movies he's just a buffoonish hagrid and like he's so pivotal in the books like just as a father figure guide friend you know moving figure character and in the movies he's just he's dumb hagrid i'm like come on yeah and they try to force deal i think so and then they try to force sentiment in the very last movie he's like i was the one who brought you here be one to take you away i'm like that doesn't mean anything to me in these movies (laughs) like i don't have any emotions towards that because i know it's not real you fucking do that for me in the movie anyway feels like you do have emotions towards that (laughs) (laughs) 
that's a grievance for another day. Okay. All right.